I want to talk to you this morning on the Christian understanding of marriage. And um, in our readings, of course, there's a lot more than we can deal with in just about 20 minutes. We're just going to be able to scratch the surface. I think I made things harder on myself because the lectionary had Genesis 2 and the Mark passage, and then I added Ephesians 5. So I think I, again, made it a little bit harder on myself this morning. But it's so important for us as Christians in this culture to reflect and remind ourselves about the meaning of marriage. So much has changed in the generation when it comes to marriage. I mean, we've had the Supreme Court redefine marriage. Um, we have a decline in marriage in a generation or so, a rapid decline. If you believe the statistics, here are some statistics. In 1960, 72% of American adults were married. In 2008, it was 50%. The divorce rate today is almost twice what it was in 1960. In 1970, 89% of all births were to married people. Today, it's only about 60%. So, we have seen, again, in, in a relatively short time, a rapid change in our society when it comes to marriage and family life. Um, what does the Scripture have to say about this institution that God has created? I want to start with what Paul says in Ephesians 5. And really, that's, that's going to be what I sort of focus on. The theme here is what he says in verse 32. In talking about marriage, he says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery of marriage is profound, and I'm saying that it relates to or refers to Christ and the church. Now, there's a book that I used to help me prepare for this sermon uh, by Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. And in that book, he says all married people can relate to that idea that marriage is profound and is a mystery, is a great mystery. He said, after a long day of trying to understand one another, sometimes we're tempted to sigh, this is a mystery to me. But what does Paul mean by this? What does Paul mean by this idea that it is a great mystery, a mega mysterion in, in Greek? Well, what he's saying here is that marriage pictures, images in some way. It's an icon, if you will, of the relationship between Christ and His church. So that for the Christian, our marriage is not just about our love together. It's not just about my experience of loving my spouse, although it is that, but it's much more than that. It is a profound picture, image, of the love that God has for His covenant people. And so the commitment that we make to one another, the love that we make, and the love that we share with one another demonstrates in some way, depicts in a small way, or ought to, God's love for us in Christ Jesus. And this love and commitment that we have for one another in, in, in biblical terminology can be summed up in one word that's really at the heart of a biblical view of marriage. And that word is covenant. A covenant is a, is, in a relation, is a relationship between two parties, or here, two people, 
bound together by a promise, by an oath, by a commitment. Throughout the Bible, of course, God makes covenants. God made a covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham. Through Abraham, God makes a covenant with the people of Israel. And then in the New Testament, the New Covenant, God makes a covenant with all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His Son. We celebrate that covenant. We renew that covenant every Sunday as we come to the Lord's table. So God is a covenant-making God. God makes promises to us. God is a promise-keeping God. And as His people, we're to reflect something of that. In a reading from Genesis 2, we have a picture of, you could call it the first wedding ceremony. God presides over this. God gives Adam a helper, a counterpart. God gives Eve to Adam. And Adam exclaims in verse 23, he breaks out, really it's written kind of in poetic form in the original language. This is at last, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then Genesis makes this comment. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. So first priority in terms of relationship goes to the husband and wife. He leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. Or in the King James, it's cleaves. Cleaves to his wife. And they become one flesh. Now, the thing I want you to know is that that word cleave, or it's translated here, hold fast, that's a covenant word. It's used elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible when God makes a covenant with His people. That word pops up. So, for example, Deuteronomy 10.20 says this, Fear the Lord your God and serve Him. Cleave to Him. Hold fast to Him and take your oaths in His name. That image of cleaving, of holding together. It means that you're united together. You're glued together in a promise. And it's the promise that takes precedence in the relationship. Not my individual wants, but the promise is what binds us together. So we have at the very beginning of the Bible, the first wedding, God presides over it. Adam and Eve are bound together in a covenant relationship. What is it that keeps us together as married people? What is it that should sustain us throughout our life together? Circumstances change. People change. Spouses change. What is it that should keep us together? If we're married, it ought to be the covenant promise. So when Josie and I first met, we had no idea what we were getting into 17 years ago or so, right? When I met her in college, she found out that I was studying the Bible and she said, are you going to be a pastor? No, I'm going to be a college professor. I don't want to be a pastor. She said, okay, all right. She had no idea she was getting into being a pastor's wife. And then when we, we started talking about kids, I said, I think, you know, two or three kids would be ideal. Here we are, five kids later, one on the way. So things change, right? Circumstances What keeps us together, what should unite us, is that promise. Lewis Smedes, the Christian writer, says this. He says, My wife has lived with at least five different men after we wed, and each five have been me. And he wrote that after 25 years of marriage. 
And he says, what connects my old self with my present self is that promise. The promise that I'll be with you, I'll stick with you. He says, when you make a promise, you create a small sanctuary of trust in an island of instability. Or in a jungle, rather, he says, of unpredictability. When you make a promise, when you keep that promise, you're creating a sanctuary. A covenant relationship is different from a dominant mode of relating to other people today in our culture, and that's a consumer relationship. You know, consumerism affects all of our relationships, how we think about the church, how we think about other people, and it can infect our understanding of how we relate to even our spouse. And a consumer relationship is, is you give me what I want or I'm going to take my business elsewhere. But a covenant relationship is I, I'm bound together to you by a promise that we've made in the sight of God through thick or thin. And exciting times and mundane times will be together. And Paul says that when we do that as married couples, we are reflecting in some way, in some mysterious way, the unity between Christ and the church. In Ephesians 5, he calls on husbands to sacrificially love their wives. This is how you are to love your wives, he says to husbands. Cherish, nurture, sacrifice for them. And wives, you're to respect your husbands. So, for the Christian, again, marriage is more than just my experience of love, our experience of love. We are imaging, we are depicting, we are mirroring in some way the covenant love that God has for His people. And so the question that we can ask for those of us who, who are married, husbands, are we doing this? How are we doing in sacrificially loving our spouse? Wives, how are we doing? How are you doing in respecting your husband? How are you showing that? And so often we stumble along the way as we try to live this out. But this is the ideal that God calls us to. So often we find in, in marriage, i found that God uses marriage to, to show me my sin and my inadequacies and my need for forgiveness. God uses marriage as a tool to sanctify me and to help me to become more like Christ. But oftentimes to show me my shortcomings and my failures. I remember a couple of years ago or so, I was kind of convicted that I needed to do more around the house. You know, I needed to practice this sacrificial love, so I thought I would start, try, start trying to do more laundry around the house. And it had been a while since I had used the washing machine, and they have these new high-efficiency washing machines, which lock you out. Once you start it, the lid locks, which I couldn't stand. So I kept trying to pop it back open, and I broke it. And it cost us hundreds of dollars to get it fixed. And so now I'm barred from using the washing machine. Which was not the plan, but it's worked out beautifully. <laughs> Sacrificial love, and so often we fail. Now I'm going to tell a story of Josie. One time during our anniversary, Josie gave me a card, and that's kind of rare. She, she's a, a loving person, but she doesn't usually express her love through cards and writing little notes. It's just not her. But So she gave me a card one time on our anniversary. And I thought, well, this is great. This is a rare treat. I was anticipating eagerly what she would write to me in this card. And I opened it up, and uh, she did write some nice things. But underneath of it, it said in small print, Love, Ben. It was a card that I had given her a couple of years earlier. <laughs> She didn't see that I had signed the card. 
And she said, well, I expressed what I wanted to say. <laughs> Save four dollars. <laughs> so we bumble along the way, right? And we learn to grow in love and forgiveness. We're bound together in the sight of God by the, the promise of love. And that's why uh, divorce is so devastating. And I say that as a, as, a, as, a, as a child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was older and married myself. But it's, it can be so devastating because as Jesus says, God has joined two people together in marriage and then divorce tears it apart. You know, that tearing apart is something that the people who are going through that divorce experience the fallout in the family life, it's so difficult. There's healing, there's restoration, there's forgiveness through divorce. And people who are divorced should not feel shame at all. But that's why it's so devastating. Jesus in this passage in, in Mark is asked a question. This is not everything I think that Jesus would want to say on marriage and divorce. It, it starts off by making it clear that the Pharisees, his enemies, are the one who are trying to ask him a question to test him. They're not really looking for Jesus' wisdom. They want to trip him up again in some way, or try to trip him up again. And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And the reason he asked him that is because that, that kind of controversy is swirling at this time. Different rabbis had different views on divorce, and some were very liberal and permissive when it came to divorce. No-fault divorce. Some rabbis thought that you could divorce your wife if you... If you found somebody else prettier or if she screwed up the dinner, you could just give her a certificate of divorce. And then the men would use that as a pretext. You know, they would say, well, Moses allowed for divorce. I'm going to divorce my wife for this reason. And then they would move on to the next person. And Jesus calls them out and he says, basically, if you do that, that's like committing adultery. You're using it as a pretext, divorce and remarriage, to fulfill your own lust. And so he bars that from those who would seek to really obey the law of God. Stay together in a covenant relationship. Now, there are times in the Bible where there, the, a divorce is allowed. It's a very high bar. It's much higher than our culture has. And so some of those reasons for divorce in the Scripture is uh, sexual immorality, porneia. Jesus talks about that, Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount. Another reason for divorce or another ground for divorce biblically is abandonment or willful desertion, 1 Corinthians 7. And I think abuse rises to the qualifications for divorce in Scripture. But for a Christian, divorce should never be the first option, the second or third or fourth option. Because again, as Christians, we have been loved unconditionally by God. God has revealed His sacrificial Love for us on the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we ought to work towards reconciliation and healing when that's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. And God, Tim Keller notes this in his, in his book. He says, God understands the pain of divorce. He quotes Jeremiah 3.8 where God says this, For the adulteries of faithless Israel, I sent her away with a decree of divorce. And Keller makes this comment. He says, God knows the pain and betrayal of divorce. And as a church, we want people who've gone through the pain to find healing and hope in Jesus Christ. But we also want married couples who are in a difficult spot to work it out, to stay faithful, to get the help they need. Um, 
there's a study that was done in 2002 that showed that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy in five years if they stick it out. Two-thirds of people in difficult circumstances, and they think, how are we ever going to get past this? They're in the middle of it. But this study showed that if they just stick it out, they will become happier as time goes on. And that study is, does divorce make people happy? Institute for American Values, 2002. And the lead sociologist on that study, University of Chicago, she said, this study shows that the benefits of divorce have been oversold in our culture. God knew what he was doing when he designed marriage. And we're tinkering with that design and we're making a mess of it. God designed marriage to be in a covenant relationship, a lifelong union between husband and wife. So, brothers and sisters, is marriage the ultimate love relationship? Well, not really, if you think about it. God is the ultimate love. God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This eternal relationship of love has been going on forever and will go on forever. And He invites us into this love relationship. That's the ultimate love. It's found in God and our relationship with Him. Marriage is a secondary love, a penultimate love relationship. It's the highest form of love between human beings. But we don't want to make marriage into an idol. We don't want to put a burden on our spouse and say, in my spouse I'm going to find ultimate happiness and fulfillment. Oh, only God occupies that, occupies that place. And marriage will not exist in heaven. But while we're here on earth, and for those of us who are married, it is a penultimate relationship. It is supposed to be a reflection of God's covenant love for us. That's the ideal. That's what we shoot for, even though we stumble and bumble along the way. Let me close with this uh, letter that a man named Robert McQuilkin wrote. He was the president of a Bible college. And his wife got Alzheimer's and uh, he resigned to take care of his wife. And he writes about the reason that he, he resigned to the student body in a letter. Maybe I've shared this with you before. I don't, I don't know. But I, I love this because this illustrates somebody who's sticking with their covenant promises. He says this, Perhaps it would help you to understand if I shared with you what I shared at the time of my announcement of my resignation in chapel. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as I told the students and faculty, as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She's cared for me sacrificially all these years. And if I've cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic, but there is more. I love Muriel. She's a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of what wit I used to relish so much, her happy spirit, her tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I do not have to care for her. I get to do it. It's a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. The decision was made, in a way, 42 years ago, when I promised, in sickness and in health, to death do us part. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will help those of us who are married to live up to our promises.
Lord, we pray for all of us who are single, married, divorced, those who are hurting and lonely, those who are frustrated, God, maybe even in their marriage, that you will draw us close to you. You are the ultimate love. You are the ultimate good. Help us to find healing and restoration in you and then to live that out in our relationships with others in the body of Christ. Help us to reflect in all of our relationships something of your faithfulness that we've experienced as we look to the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your holy name and all God's people said. Amen.